0: the, S&P, the stops. This is Motley Fool Money.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, the straw man himself, Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? I'm very well. Yourself? I'm well. I don't know. I'm on holidays. That's the good news. Oh, that's right. What's You're the not even post? here. No, correct. Yeah. Well, like I can't I am, but I'm, it's, it's mate. Theater of the mind. <laughs> how good is how good is radio podcast, mate? Theater of the mind. I'm here, but I'm not here. I right now, if if. Uh, if this is all working properly, where am I? I should be in the Flinders Ranges. We'll pee in a pound right now. So if you see me Beautiful. driving past, at least to the podcast, I feel free to give me a wave out the window. We're, we're spending three weeks doing uh, kind of, you know, kind of eastern, kind of southeastern part of South Australia. So I mean, Range, we're in Flinders Ranges. We're going to be heading down up to Parachilna, down through Adelaide and out back through Lake Mungo. So I've got a, a really exciting trip planned. Of course, we are pre-recording this, so by then the borders might be closed and I could be actually back here re-recording this by the time we get there. But assuming we don't, we have got a couple of weeks of pre-recorded content for you. We don't want to leave you without something to listen to. Some of you will think that's good, some of you will wish we had. Uh, but what we wanted to do is we'll still do our mailbags every Sunday. But on our Friday episodes, we obviously can't talk to you about news of the week and that's probably a relief sometimes when there's not much news around. But we thought we'd try and pick some topics that... Either you've asked us about, we think you might like to know about. So it's a bit more evergreen that we can talk about. It's just got a different, a different vibe to it. Something that kind of you can pack away, listen to it anytime. It's less time sensitive. And what we thought we'd start with, Andrew, is we thought we'd start with some book recommendations. Now, mm. this has been I, we've had a couple of requests for this over over the years. There's actually a mailbag question around somewhere with that one on it. I also posted, a, just I happened to post a, a photo of a book. A listener um, actually hit us up on Twitter and said, "Hey, you talked about this book recently, Scott? What, what was it again?" I put a photo up on, it on Facebook, and I got like a hundred likes on it. It Was a really well received. It was just literally a post with the, with a the book, but uh, we we know that it kind of works. And, and frankly, most of our listeners are investors, would be investors. They care about the economy or investing, um, and so kind of this stuff is is useful to them. So on that basis, that's cool. We take a massive assumption and assume mm-hmm. you want to hear from us for about forty five minutes or so. We'll see how we go with timing. Andrew and I, by the way, notoriously go over time. You won't know this because you don't see our pre podcast conversations mate but you and, you and i normally say let's keep this one tight and then we just talk so this could be an hour and a half it could be 25 minutes i have no <laughs> idea uh, but we're see gonna go goes. with it and see see where we get to all right let's so we're gonna have we're gonna have 10 books we will i will write them now we'll read them back and we'll put them in the bio uh notes the show notes as the cool kids say of the podcast you'll have them all there um but i thought we just started we'll go one each uh, roll out some yep. ideas we'll talk about what the book is who it's by What we kind of learned from it, or what we think you should learn from it, and why it's worth reading. So, I'll start with you, Andrew. What is your, not in any order, unless you want to put it in order, what's your first book recommendation for our listeners?
0: Um, I'm going to actually go with one by Howard Marks, which is the most important thing. And uh, Howard Marks is uh, one of the founders of Oak Tree Capital, it's a very successful fund. Um, he is more into bond investing, but he sort of, he, he's sort of—he's one of these guys like Buffett. He's—he's he's always written a annual letter or a regular letter to investors. And
1: you're not saying Andrew, a while- you've started, you've started saying he's a bond investor. That's, I, I don't know—that's the uh, the thing you put at the top of your CV if you want people to read your book. But tell me, it's worth <laughs> reading.
0: It's very much worth reading. And it kind of, you know, this is the point, like whether it is in bonds or equities or property. I mean, there, there are certain investment principles. Yeah. And it's kind of a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek uh, title because although it's called The Most Important Things, there's like seven or eight most important things. <laughs> um, but he really tries to sort of highlight it. And, and like Buffett, he has a wonderful way of just conveying mm. these in investing, what are very simple ideas, but at the same time, if taken seriously, very powerful ideas. And they all they 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 again like a lot of Buffett stuff. They sound a little bit cliched, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things. It's a cliche for a very very good reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, and anyway, so I, I think that I think that is definitely one I would recommend for people uh, to read. It's a classic. Very good, man I like that a lot.
1: In fact, it's one of those books. I, I'm going to talk about one in a second, which has the same trait. I, I listen to a whole lot of books and audio these days. It's kind of my preferred way of consuming content. I'm not driving to Sydney or back or I'm on the mower or doing whatever I'm doing and, and just podcasts while I'm doing something or audio books while I'm doing something are really, really useful. Um, yeah. This, that, I, so I have read The Most Important Thing. I really enjoyed it and it's one of those ones where I wish I hadn't, well, yeah, I wish I hadn't done an audio book but I kind of kept stopping and wanted to write stuff down. It is just so packed full of great content like, yeah, that thing, that thing, yes. I want to write that thing down. It resonates. Um, and it, Self-evidently true enough, right? kind of stuff. Yes, yes, but also coming up in a really important way. And we'll get to a couple of examples of those. The first example, speaking which, was one I actually wanted to raise myself because I'm going to recommend a book I have talked about before.
0: Hey, hey, sorry, just to interrupt you, mate. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Should we, be, given given we do have a little bit of license with time, should we just go through some of the, the bigger takes from each oh, of those do. books? Yeah,
1: yeah. If you've got some, sorry, I thought you were done. Um, yeah, no, go for no, it.
0: No, 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 no. Um, um, and I'd really encourage you, you, you too. Like, I don't know if you if you remember. Uh, anything that jumped out at you um, kind of thing. But we were talking about this yeah. in the most recent podcast. Where we did the mailbag. Um, and, and in chapter one, he talks about this concept that no rule always works. And I think it gets, it's one of these things that gets to this Is idea that, that yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the one rule yeah. um, where, where there tend to be opportunities there. We were talking about the January yeah. effect and the buy yeah. in May, yeah. or you know, all of this kind of stuff. Um, or certain technical indicators or certain value investing approaches. Mm, Like, mm. history rhymes, but it doesn't repeat. There there are, when it comes to investing, it's, by nature, it's a self- it's a dynamic system you there won't be a rule that always works yeah, so yeah. i'm kind of contradicting myself and himself here where he, he talks about you know there are these core sort of principles and i guess you could call them rules but he's talking more about the specific approach and strategy that you take to investing yeah, okay. it's not it's it it is yeah it is it is always sort of changing and, and that psychology plays a big part in all of that as well so that that was something that really resonated for me
1: I like that. I like, I like how Mark how It's a really, really cool book. I liked, I liked it very much. Mate, my, the, the book that I had the same experience with on audiobook, that's why it kind of was a nice segue between yours and mine, was um, The Little Book of Behavioral Investing. And this is great what I've book. talked about before on the podcast. It is, I if I, could, uh, if I could have all of our listeners read only one investing book, it would be this book, hands down. There are some great mm. books on the rest of my list. I'm sure you've got some great ones on your list as well. Um, I don't know of a more impactful or potentially impactful investing book than this one. Because at the end of the day, whether you beat the market by a little bit, lose the market by a little bit, or match the market with your stock picking, unless you're really, really, really great at it, really, really bad at it, it's probably not going to be as impactful as how you manage to keep your emotions in check and understand the things that you're doing or not doing as an investor that can either make you money or lose you money. And this is, you know, the the... the the impact of something like this is just—I can't honestly—I can't state it highly enough how important this is. Um, you, you, so it's by James Montier, M O N T I E R. It's really well-written, really smart. So it's a little book, so it's only—it's I mean, relatively short. It's Easy, read it, it really quickly. A couple yeah. hundred pages, um, but they're small yep. pages. One of those little sort of you know short books, um, and it is—it is, it is just a, a little book. F- yeah, it is literally, it's literally—it's just a fascinating read. Fascinating read. Um, uh, I, I'm struggling to come up with a, few, with a few things to kind of call that in particular. What I, what I so I thought I'd, I thought I'd read a couple of a couple of just chapter headings actually. As I as I pulled the book off my shelf when I was going to talk about it, um, it, the just here's a couple. Right, uh, the first one is information overload, and it's just the reality of humans are. There's so many less, like just, just read it. Don't ever listen to my summary. Just read it. Um, humans are so bad at processing information. We don't have the evolutionary framework to do it. But what we kind of learned over time is the more things we knew, the more, the smarter we thought we were and the better equipped we, th- we thought we were to make a decision. So, but it turns out when you do the research that if you ask someone, you give someone a couple of pieces of information, you ask them to make a, a decision or a forecast or a prediction or a, a judgment, and then you ask them their confidence in that judgment. So you say, okay, what do you think? And they say, X. Exactly. how sure are you? So about 75% sure. Okay, fine. When you give them more information, and by the way, then you the judge whether the, whether their judgment was right or not. You know the you know the the outcome, so you can mm. rank rank how good or bad they are at actually being right. The more information you as you give them more information, as you go from two bits to four to ten to twenty bits of information, their chances of being right don't change one iota, mm. but their confidence goes through the roof. Mm. So when they say they are fifty or sixty percent confident with two bits of information. 75% confident with eight bits of information. 90% confident with 19 bits of information. They their confidence goes through the roof, but their um, their actual accuracy doesn't improve at all. And it's just a reminder to me to not be fooled by massive amounts of data or information, or always seeking out the next bit of information, or or letting it overwhelm our ability to actually get this stuff right. So that that's that's really important. The other one I, I love is this one I've. Um, I, I say this to the guys at work all the time, Andrew, it's, it, it, the, the, the chapter heading is right for the wrong reason or wrong for the right reason. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of you can't judge your outcomes, ironically, <laughs> as an investor, just simply, you can't judge, you can't, what's the best to say this? You can't or shouldn't invest based on the success or otherwise of your past experiences without knowing whether or not they actually were right for the wrong reasons or wrong for the right reasons. So, If, um, for example, I ran across a busy 10-line highway, didn't get hit by a truck, I was right. It was safe. See, it was fine. I should should do that more often. Now, we all know, that's an obviously stupid example, because we all know, if you run across 10 lane freeways, you will get mowed down by a truck at some point, probably sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Getting away with it once, being right for the wrong reason, in this case, just stupid luck, is not an excuse, right? Um, And and similarly, being, being wrong for the right reasons is also true. So you say to somebody, you shouldn't run across the road, they do and this, they, they make it, you were wrong, <laughs> but for the right reasons. Your, your judgment was right, just because the, the single outcome didn't work, doesn't mean you should, change, you should all of a sudden change your view. Like, oh yeah, no, I was wrong. Yeah, it's definitely safe to run across the freeway. Now look, that person just did it. Now again, they're stupid examples, they're extreme examples, but I use them because it's just really, really important. It kind of dovetails with something else I say all the time, which is never tr- trying to learn the wrong lessons from investing, mm-hmm. right? The, the thing that the thing that loses you money, if you if you bought shares in Amazon and in pets.com, right? The lesson there isn't I lost money in pets.com, therefore online retail is stupid, never gonna make any money. But yeah, that, that would have been the wrong lesson to yeah. learn, right? The, the if you had the idea of online retail will be huge, I'll buy these half a dozen companies, including Amazon, was the, you know, what what was the right lesson to learn? Now we know I again I use an obvious example people say, Okay, well, in this case it was online retail was going to be a thing but not everyone was going to survive and I wasn't wrong just because pets.com failed Mm. I was actually right because I got the trend right and I had some examples some that worked some that didn't and so again really really important just that behavioural stuff of being really clear almost the the challenge for humans is getting outside our own heads you've got to be able to look at your own thinking from outside that thinking that's really you've got to see
0: reality you've got to see reality as it is not
1: as you would have it Exactly, correct, correct. So that, that little book of behavioural investing, James Montier, just a spectacularly good book.
0: What's your number two? I will, well, let me just uh, – uh, this is where it gets dangerous, doesn't it? I can see where, where the time pressure uh, comes from. But it, 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 I, I also love that book, and there are, there are so many great um, ones in there. Um, yeah. One thing I'll, I'll call out for me is the anchoring bias. That is one I, th- I yeah. feel as though is a very common one that we all suffer from. We all have these, we all refer to uh, our attitude towards a stock based on whether it's up or down, whether it's cheap or expensive, it's all about where it was. And it's just, it's such a big, I see it as a real fundamental problem with how we yeah. think. And yeah. getting past that has is, is just done such wonders for me personally. So I definitely highlight that. I have to say too, we don't have time to go into it, but I love, you touched on some of the experiments that they've done the, the mm-hmm. experiments that they do are so brilliant aren't they you know, it's, like, it's like that one where they uh, they hold up the different uh, length of lines and there's, they're all actors except for one guy and you've got to say if you think all lines are the same or not that's right yes a, a listener will write in and tell me it's the roast no I forget anyway it's got a particular uh, name for it yeah. and And after a while, uh, uh, like he just, even though he can do, it's right in front of him. Clearly, the lines aren't all the same length because everyone else is saying it. You'll go along with it, and it's one of those "oh, what an idiot!" But but we we all do it. So anyway, I love all of that stuff. I I I also recommend that. So my next book is one. Before you do, I just want to say one more thing about this book.
1: Only to say, if it sounds boring and kind of like you know psychology and dense reading, Montier does a spectacular job of using examples. To tell the yeah. story, so if you're if you're thinking about buying, you're like, oh, it sounds boring, and behavioral investing, and yeah, the, it, it does a spectacular job. He writes well, but he uses really, really provocative examples. It just you kind of look at it, oh man, yeah, that's really clear. So it's a really, really good book. Go.
0: Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So the next one is Poor Charlie's Almanac, and this is uh, from Charlie Munger. Yeah, yes. it's it's a real. It's an old. It's been around for ages. I forget when when he wrote it, but um, uh, it. it he's he's warren buffett's right-hand man he's just such a great thinker so charlie is obviously a wonderful investor but he's he's better described i think as, as a bit of a polymath his interests run uh over a very broad spectrum yeah. and i would actually say as a little bit of a segue i think all the best investors i know are like that not mm-hmm. not a not a polymath and genius in all areas but it's it, it's it's bringing in lessons and uh, uh, perspectives of other areas yep. into your investing because you know you, these these are real world companies that operate in the real world anyway. It tends to do yep. to do uh, to, to do you pretty well anyway. Charlie has a whole bunch of things, and again, it's not very much a, an investment book per se. Mm. It is mm. it is a, it goes over broader things, but mm. the thing that really struck uh, stood out for me is he has this. Big, big emphasis on rationality and decision-making. Mm. And importantly, having a willingness to change one's mind, um, which I think is really, really valuable. You talk about behavioral biases, you know, it, the endowment effect is another one I'm quite fond of, or, mm. or hate, mm. depending on how, what <laughs> context you're using. Which you, you're using it in, you know, so once you've got a stock, if it starts going badly and everything, you'll do all kinds of things to delude yourself. Um, Whereas the best investors uh, are very good at holding firm to their conviction, but also, as I said before, seeing reality for what it is, recognizing that. And and Charlie talks a lot about you actually need to deliberately consider the other side of the argument. In fact, you need to state the other side's opinions better than they can themselves. Mm -hmm. Not to say that you have to just jump to that conclusion and reach that, but you have to understand what... Munger says, "Tell me where I'm going to die, so I don't go there." And <laughs> nice line, getting great investment returns is—we all think getting great investment returns is about finding that great stock, and obviously yeah. you've got to find good stocks. But it's—I would say—it's probably slightly more about the stocks that you don't invest in. Oh, well, like you that, know, it's, yeah. you, you, you and I—you and I can have, have. Well, you know, I think we can boast pretty good long-term track records. But if we put 90% of our money in something tomorrow that goes down 90%. It's all yeah. undone. It's all it is yep. all yep. undone, and yep. and yep. It, it's it's just it's just about that. In, that in, another saying of Munger's is invert, always invert. Right? Just look at a problem and then look at it in a different way, and and take it seriously. Um, you may still find that you end up with the original conclusion that that you had, but but it can it just helps you avoid those pitfalls, and those pitfalls can be very yep. costly. So read it. Strong strong buy recommendation on that book. Love it. Uh, if you're
1: worried about the name, by the way, the name Ch- Poor Charlie's Almanac was taken from Poor Richard's Almanac, written by Charlie Unger's hero Ben Franklin. Um, uh, so that's right, the, that's, that's name, right. You probably know that, but that's where the name comes from, which is kind of a little, a little I'd bit of a side. Uh, but a really cool, a little, a little really cool side. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, cool. Mate, my, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay with with the Berkshire connection. I'm gonna go with uh, I own shares in Berkshire Hathaway for full disclosure. Um, I'm gonna go with the complete essays of Warren Buffett which sounds kind of about as boring as you'd expect essays are not great as a, as a subject line as a title. Um, this is, this is the pre-internet days when you didn't have to have catchy clickbait titles. So the complete essays of Warren Buffett, Buffett writes, as you've already mentioned at the top, Andrew, an annual letter to his shareholders. And that is just chock full of great stuff. And if you've been investing for 40 years and you've already heard it all before, read it anyway. (laughs) But if you haven't, you definitely need to read it. Um, great for a whole lot of things. Buffett breaks down the ideas really simply. He expresses the most important business and investing ideas really simply and really easily. Um, the good thing about this particular book is it actually, co- it actually collects all the top... So rather than presenting every year in order, you know, 65, then 66, and just one after the other, they pull the concepts together that are, that are about a certain thing and they wrap them all together. So you'll see a few different letters about a particular topic. And so, rather than kind of having to read through it all in in kind of a you know, chronological order for the sake of it, if he writes a lot about I don't know moats, right, competitive advantages, all that's in one chapter in this particular book, mm. and so on mm. and so forth. So it's just a really it's a it's a really simple change, but it's a clever way to get a really great. It's honestly about as close to an investing MBA as you're going to get in a book, because um, it's Buffett spending the last best part of fifty years explaining the stuff that matters. In, in a really easy to understand way, um, and you know, if, if you're not a much much better investor after reading that, I'd, I'd be surprised. Buffett also writes pretty engagingly. He's not the world's best writer, um, but as a shout letter, it's it's the best out there. I am not it's not the best writer; he's good. He's just you know, he, you know it's not it's not a page turner like it's, it's not a not a crime thriller or a Michael Lewis book. Um, but you know, it, really, he's a good writer. He, he explains things really clearly, really simply. The most important things you need to know to steal, um, Howard <laughs> Marks' book line. Um, just so you will, you will be a much better investor having read it. I just it's, it's one of those basics, and it's one of the very few books that I reread regularly. When I want to say regularly, I don't mean every month or every year even, but I must have read it maybe five or six times around. I think, um, yeah. And I'm probably overdue to go back to it. It's just one of those things. It's it's like the old, it's like Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings, right? You don't you learn very little brand new when you read them but it's kind of like going to church on Sunday, right? It's just the minister or the priest or the, the padre out there saying, you know what? Here's the stuff that's really important. Don't forget it on Monday morning when you go back to your life. And we all kind of think we know it and we all would say, yeah, of course we already know that. But the reminder in simple, a bit like how Mark's again in simple terms, simple, easy, understand, well-written, enjoyable read, super valuable. One of my, again, as with a little book of behavioral investing, um, these aren't all going to be necessarily in order, but if I was going to read two books, they'd be the two I'd read.
0: You've, you've reminded me of a couple things there. Like when we were thinking about what books to include here, there was a lot of books that jumped out that I was immediately... Yes, I'm, I'm definitely going to recommend yeah, that yeah. one. But... To be honest with you, I read some of these years ago, and then I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. actually, what was the key?" It, there is there is huge value in rereading a lot of these uh, tomes uh, um, because it, it, it's not that it just refreshes you, but after yeah. having walked down the path for a little bit, you're a different mm-hmm. person now mm-hmm. than you were ten years ago. Yes. So yeah, you can you can you can draw. I think, especially as you get more experience, you draw new lessons that you didn't mm-hmm. get the first mm-hmm. time around. So it's a refresher. And you can still get something out of it. So rereading yeah, yeah. books is is something that I think is, you know, reread the right books, of course. But um, yeah, uh, I also was going to say, I don't think I've ever know of any successful or uh, accomplished investor that I know of who doesn't quote or defer to Buffett in some way yeah, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of different styles and successful people and stuff mm, out there. Mm. But some, of you know, he he really. I think Benjamin Graham was the first person to ever sort of approach investing with a rational, scientific, almost like process. And Buffett really mm. took those ideas and then with Munger ran with them. But also has just done it in laying out the the the. Um, the axioms, or the mantra, or you know the the commandments—if it was—if if you want to call it sort of like the Bible of investing—is so yeah. fundamental. I think we've oversold the hell out of it, but I just wanted to say, I 100% agree with your recommendation. There, no, I
1: like it. You know, it's one—it's it's one of my other investing mantras. Is generally speaking, if I disagree with Warren Buffett, I assume I'm the one who's wrong. Uh, yeah. If you live, live, your, live your life by that by that approach, and you're probably in a pretty good
0: place. Well, I think the, the other thing too is people can get too like Buffett's. You, you can get too fanboyish, you know. There's plenty mm-hmm. of things not to like about Buffett, and he's he's had a, a pretty bad run of late, and and all the rest of it. And there's plenty mm-hmm. of things he does that that I disagree with. But it's just sort of on the big ideas, they're very they're very pithy. There's, they're full of a lot of wisdom, but they also have a lot of danger of being misconstrued. Like I always like the one which is Buffett's rule one: never lose money. Rule two: mm-hmm. see rule one, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like you pe- people can draw the wrong kind of lessons from that. I, I don't know what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, is read it. But no, I think you're right, yeah, whatever, think you're Whoever right. you are, whatever your approach, I think you will get something out of it, and it's 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 worth doing. So um, the next one I was going to go with mate, is a bit more, uh, again, less of an investing book, more of a a, a business book, and like it's that. called Competitive Advantage by Michael Porter. Competitive um, advantage, okay. Yeah, it's it's really good. He's done um, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. It's really around strategy for business mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. He's, in fact, I think you can find a lot of this stuff for free online. His original papers and this kind of stuff. Um, right. but and Porter is
1: kind of the guru. He's the fa- the father of kind of business strategy, right?
0: He is, and he's he's taken that concept and again. Probably, yeah. It, uh, sort of a, an initially sort of espoused by, by Buffett um, th- this idea of moats and, mm, and talks mm, a lot mm. about them so I think if you're serious about being a stock picker if you're serious about being an investor mm. really the share markety stuff is the like the last step you know it, it, it's more about looking being able to look at a business and say this is a good business and this Mm -hmm. is and moreover this is why it's a good business and why it will continue to be a good business you know it's kind of like what what things like PE ratios and you know the best time of the year to buy and stop loss and all this sort of stuff that gets a lot of airtime is is the last step on the journey it's it's what's the saying like i'm a better investor for being a businessman Mm -hmm. and i'm a better businessman for being an investor Mm -hmm. i i think if if you need to approach the market with a business owner's mindset because you're, you're buying a small part of a business. So when you yeah. understand the, the major drivers of business, the main things that kind of matter, ki- competitive di- dynamics that are in play, it's a little bit dense, I'll admit, with this book. Like he goes right down it. But e- even again, like with Buffett, the high-level ideas, mm-hmm. the things mm-hmm. that matter when appraising mm-hmm. a business um, – it's just so valuable because it also speeds up your process and reduces your frustration as an investor. Cause I think one of the one of the skills that develop over time is that you get good at saying no. So there are mm. certain businesses that I can just say no straight away. And and there'll be plenty of instances where you go, I got that one wrong. But more often than not, you know it's probably not going to be a good investment because mm. it has certain characteristics that that you know, you know that the dynamics and the and the and the and the drivers that are at play are not favourable. So even if it does work out, it's only because they got lucky on these kinds of things. So anyway, I'm overselling it again. Have you read? Have you <laughs> read that book?
1: I have not read the book. I've spent a lot of time with the models and the ideas, but I've actually never spent the time to read the book. Believe it or not, I probably overdue.
0: Yeah, a lot of it will be familiar because, as you said, the yeah, ideas have sort well, of been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I've, I've used the model a heap of times both as an investor and as a as a business person back in the in the in a, in a previous life. Um, so certainly you know, aware of the ideas, but I probably should go through and actually put them in context and actually get the full the full uh, the full value of all of them, I
0: would assume. Yeah, yep, yeah, do it. Get more motley full money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Mate, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one that is a really, really common uh, and commonly, kind of, um, highlighted book. And it's One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. It's getting a little Another bit long in the tooth these days. Well, it is, yeah, It's getting a little bit long in the tooth these days because Lynch was a fund manager mostly in the 80s. And, and for some people, that was the heyday, and some people, that was in the distant past. You know, how old you are, was you listening to this. Um, Lynch. Popularized a whole lot of stuff like Scuttlebutt. We talked about that in a previous episode. Um, mm. He he was a growth investor, kind of probably one of the earliest growth investors. I think, mate, the ones that kind of really kind of didn't eschew the traditional valuation multiples, but kind of looked more broadly in longer term. Some of the things we take for granted these days probably owe their, I mean, that probably happened anyway, but owe their genesis to Peter Lynch and his involvement in that. And the idea of kind of, you know, probably Phil Fisher's the other guy, actually, by the way. Um, basically, you know, Lynch popularized things like uh, the term 10 bagger for example we again take for granted now the ability you can actually get more than 10 times your investment in a single yeah. company it just wasn't really expected or understood and it certainly wasn't popularized back in the day so probably one of the very first people to write a modern investing book mm. in, in a not, not a textbook but just a, a, you know, a modern book about investing um, so really uh, just a really thoughtful way and a reminder by the way so we called it One Up on Wall Street the idea is basically that the individual investor can and, and probably should be able to beat wall street at its own game and has advantages and again that scuttlebutt was one of the major ones but he had a whole list of uh you got an investment checklist which is i don't use uh, but again if you haven't read the book and you're a newer investor um just some of that input is really really useful to kind of think about um you know the, the the kind of lynch way of going about investing um and some of the things that again as an investor you won't necessarily use this you shouldn't use this checklist as a as a as a bible as a unbreakable whatever um but it's just worth having to think about. So he talked about things like, you know, obviously the price earnings ratio, um, things like insider activity, director buying and selling, earnings growth, mm. balance sheet strength, the amount of cash. Just some really some really simple things that, as an investor, you can you can have a look at and kind of try and work out what you want to do. Um, he, he also popularised breaking up companies into their kind of component parts. So he talked about slow growers or stalwarts or cyclical mm. stocks or fast growing stocks. Yeah, I love that. Turnarounds, point, yeah. asset plays. And so it's, it, it's, a, it's a nice, what, what I like about that is it lets, so as an investor, you know, people say, what, how, do I, how do I sort of what to invest in? And it kind of is like, it depends on what sort of company is, what you're looking for as an investor, who you are as an investor. But if you've got a slow growing company, okay, what should you look for? What, what makes it an attractive mm. investment?
0: I love you, how he puts that in buckets. Like it's not, it's yeah, not that yeah. there's this one yeah. approach that you do for all companies. Investing in zero is very different to investing in right, BHP. Is right. very, you know, yeah. Yes. Hundred percent.
1: And It only breaks those up to make it easier to to assess, but also then gives you a checklist of some ideas as ways of thinking about individual buckets to mm. try and find the best in those in those pit areas. So just like a really really cool book, you will learn a lot from it. You will it'll help codify some of your thinking. Um, and I find that's as an investor, if you've been doing, if you're brand new, these are just like eye openers. If mm. you're kind of an intermediate investor, you've been doing it for five, ten years. This stuff kind of just helps you almost, gives you, um, i trying to think of the right metaphor here, but it basically gives you kind of posts to, to, to nail your ideas to, to almost to kind of organize and codify those ideas, to, to systematize them. And I've, I know this, I've seen that, I think this, and then you see like a Lynch or, or a Buffett and you're like, oh, I know, okay, mm. I, get, I get that. I can kind of put those ideas in this bucket, gives you a frame of reference, gives you a definition, gives you some tools, uh, really, really cool book.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. He, he's very quotable as well, Peter Lynch. He's got a million <laughs> yeah, great quotes true. that I still relentlessly. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to go over another a little bit of an esoteric title and a huh? shout out to Joe Mega, our uh, our, our friend who runs a lake, a lake House Capital, um, part of The Motley Fool. He put me onto this book back when I was with you guys. And it's called The Gorilla Game by Jeffrey yeah. A. Moore, uh, Paul Johnson and Tom Kippeler. Um, and it's about investing in high technology, and it's yeah. uh, it was I think it was twenty fourteen or something like that. So it's not it's not a particularly old book, mm. but it it talks it, and it, it's a nice dovetail from what you're talking about with Peter Lynch. There's there are different approaches and strategies you should take to investing in different types of companies, and it's it talks about this the gorilla. The reason it's called the gorilla game is it's he's they call these uh, hyper growth technology companies gorillas. Mm. Um, and they're the ones, and we, we all know the, name, uh, the names mm-hmm. now, but really grow to dominate an industry. And so it's about sort of saying, one, when you look back at the best possible returns in equity investing, it tends to come from these kinds of situations. Um, and, and how you identify them early, or at least as early as is sensible, mm-hmm. this is how you go about it. Um, so it kind of outlines this framework. You know, it's, it's look for a, a new and emergent market. It's just like something that didn't exist before but is now here and is going to be a big thing. The internet's the obvious example, but there's actually a lot of things like that under that umbrella. Yep. Yep. Uh, they were talking about chip manufacturing in the book, uh, all, all kinds of like uh, things mm-hmm. like that. IBM back in the day. Anyway, it's it's the kind of industry where the leaders, you know, or the industry as a whole, in an early stage, it literally is one hundred percent growth year on year on year on year. Now, obviously it's coming off a very small base, mm. but it's it's these kinds of things. And they're basically saying that um, and it, it talks a lot too about the technology adoption curve. So there's this chasm, you know, there's this a technology like 3D printing is a good example. It comes along and you have these early proof of concepts and we all get super excited about it. And there's some early adopters there, but it's not commercial yet. In fact, it's a it, then they go into this what they call the bowling alley. You know, it's this big uh, thing where a lot of people get stood up and then get knocked down, and 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 then eventually the mainstream comes onto it. And it's mm-hmm. it's a very nonlinear thing. Things to go tend to go very uh, exponential, very very quickly. Yeah. Um, and and they're basically saying. Yeah, so I, it's hard It's hard to distill the entire book, but it's basically if you can find these ones and they also acknowledge that most of the ones you find won't turn out to be it. So they say buy a basket of these kinds of ones, but then consolidate. As it as as the uh, industry leader starts to emerge, because they tend mm-hmm. to operate in areas where there are very strong and potent network effects at play. So it's one of those things that the bigger you become, the bigger the advantage you have. You you have, which means you 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 know you become even bigger, and it's sort of this positive feedback loop. So it, it it's really good for me. I found in in not talking about anchoring before there is absolutely can be a huge amount of sense for for so-called gorillas into averaging up you know buying some at a dollar but then as as it becomes more and more likely that this is the industry leader and this is the one that's going to win buying at ten dollars is perfectly sensible right um and and continuing to consolidate as that happens, and importantly and this is the big thing that they make, is is just, and then to hold for the long term, not to make that mistake of selling this great, you know, the dude who sold Amazon for 100% profit and thought he was a genius, right? Um, that's enough said. That's enough for a ramble. Go out there and read it. The Gorilla Game. No,
1: really, really, really I, really I, good. Again, frameworks are so valuable, right? Even if you don't ever use them specifically. Totally. Being yeah. able to just think through... And and that's why they're frameworks, right? They, they, again, I used the word codified before and I'll do it again, but that that very idea of kind of having your ideas collected, putting it in a a framework and, and ideally something that kind of shows you what happens through time, is really
0: really useful and I think Charlie Munger calls it those mental models right it's 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 having those it's it's having a scaffolding of ideas that you can you've learned to link together in a sensible way over time which gives you a prism through which to judge new information Um, yeah Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. not, but that, that's... No, you, oh, mate, you've, you've, that.
1: you've answered, you've done it in 10 words. I was trying to scramble through in about 400 words. So well done. That's exactly what it is. Um, my, my next idea is good to great. Now, this is one of those, again, in the, in the field of business books rather than investing books. In fact, it's got almost nothing to do with investing, except I think it's got everything to do with investing because it comes down to, in my mind, our ability as, as investors to look at a business and a business model and to really think through the implications for the likely success or failure of an individual business. And Good to Great just really sets out in a really nice scientific way the way a, um, a business can be analysed. And, and again, this is not, you know, so I've got an issue with most of these days business books and biographies, right? Because they're kind of like, hey, this is how I did it. You can do it too. And I've I've called it in the past success porn, and I'll I'll, I'll hold to that because it's the idea of like, hey, these guys did really well. Richard Branson's a classic. Like, there's no one else like Branson. You can't go and start a underground record business and end up running a you know an airline and a and a you know whatever else. But Virgin does these days. It just it just doesn't go that that way for everybody, right? Yeah. And so yep. the fact that someone did it because of their circumstances, they and frankly a truckload of luck. You alluded to this last week, I think, the week before, Andrew. The, the truckload of luck idea, which is basically, you know, yeah, you had to do all those things just to get on the playing field, but, you know, you had to have circumstances go your way to be successful. And that is mm. just so important. Anyway, a bit of a tangent, because good to great does the reverse of that. It literally takes two like-for-like businesses, one that succeeded, went from good to great, hence the title, and another that didn't. And it just simply looks mm. at them both and, and did it with cross... So it was 10 different pairs of companies, mate, and it was just a couple of decades ago now. Um, and literally said, okay, this company did really well, this one didn't. Another industry, this one did well, this one didn't same mm. industry or same area. Um, and, and basically tried to distill down from really painstaking research what were the components of the business that did well, that were lacking in the business that did badly. And mm. so really, really scientifically rigorous, um, really, really thoughtful. Also a really important strategy. if you're if you're in business, by the way, great even better book. Um, but if you're investing, just think about the way these businesses make their money, uh, go about going from good to great. Um, it really, really seminal book for me as a, as a business person, as an investor, really regrounded my thinking. Um, one of the things I love is is the idea of level five leadership and just that idea of kind of this effectively servant leadership. Um, thinking about who's running your business, what are they in it for? Are they truly making a difference? Who are they making a difference for? How are they making that difference? If you want long-term investing, which we tend to want to, um, long-term investing generally tends to come from investors and leaders who think long-term, right? That's, it's hard to... Mm, it, it, yep. you know, it's, not, it's not impossible, but it's very, very hard to build a long-term out of succession of short-term focuses. You know yep. that, that is by definition long-term, but you can't... Unless you're really, really lucky, you have to have a long-term focus to start with. Like, this was just a... It's just a really, really great book. Highly, highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in business or investing or preferably both if you listen to this podcast. Um, if you don't learn something, if it doesn't change your thinking about it, I'd be remarkably surprised.
0: Yeah, You know, I, I, another little segue here. I, I think um, you, you have so... All, all of this... You talk about the investment that you can make in yourself to to become a better yeah. investor. And a lot of people tend to assume, I need to go get the MBA or I need to have done a degree yeah. in finance or yeah. I need to have worked for Goldman Sachs. Like, frankly, I've got to say, and I don't mean any offence to anyone who's got these accomplishments because they're hard to get. <laughs> I, You know, I, you've... You will get so if you if you were to say right, I'm just going to spend $200, 300 bucks on a set of books, ones we've recommended yeah. here, and there's a whole host yep. of others. The the <laughs> you as a as a person as an investor are going to be, have such an immense edge on on the person that you are today that mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like and and, and that, a lot of people I've I've made that comment to friends before, but they're just not into that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, it's just boring, I'm not in and that's fine too. <laughs> but that also tells you a lot about yourself. It's like maybe you shouldn't right, be a stock right. picker right or may, may, and, and that's cool just do the ETF thing that we always talk about it's it's really cool but but if if you are and I would I would very strongly encourage it not just for the financial reward but just because I find it so darn stimulating and interesting um, mm. you read you read a collection yeah $200 $300 worth of these these books man you're gonna I, I would guarantee I would I'd be happy to give you some of my money to manage over the next 10 years because you'll you'll probably do a half decent yeah. job at it anyway no that's
1: <laughs> mate I, so I people often ask me, hey, what should I do to be an investor? Or Or should, and they're normally asking what, what, what should I get a job in investing? And I've got mm. two, and they're always two different answers, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I, I, we have a lot of colleagues who've done the Chartered Financial Analyst designation. Mm. Um, I couldn't think of anything. I'd rather do less. Now, I yeah. may have to at some point do it because the industry requires it or something else if I have to, I have to. Oh, I've done some um, of it. It's soul-destroying. I just it, and it doesn't make you a better investor I did years ago yeah. the old financial services industry association remember that one Fincia oh, God, uh, what was it me. before that yep. Securities Institute of Australia used to be called back in the good old days that's what I first did the course and I did a valuation and look it's fine but it's, it, it teaches you how to think like everybody else all the other shiny bums in, 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 in professional finance doing exactly the same things with the same spreadsheets and mm. I, you know now I say to people if you're going for a job in a traditional firm, you're probably going to do the course because that's kind of prerequisite these days. So, you know, do I think you need to be an investor? No, absolutely not. Do I think you need to get a job? Probably. Uh, which tells mm. you everything you need to know about the finance industry, by the way. And again, yep. yet another yep. reason why I'm going to be, um, if I get out of the Motley Fool, i doing something else in finance. <laughs> yeah, we're probably, in trouble. Yeah. I, I, mate, I've, I've, got, I've got no friends in the finance industry at the moment other than, other than you. Or maybe even that's not a long lasting. We'll see whether you still want to Don't, don't, a don't lump time.
0: me with, with that lot.
1: That just means you don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> my name is my friend, right? No, so yeah, yeah, true, no I think I think you're, you're exactly right, mate. You, it's a really, really good point.
0: Yeah. All right. What do you yeah, next so, so honestly, do it. So I was gonna, I, 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 one that I mentioned to you that I was gonna go with. I've changed my mind. Oh, late, oh look at that.
1: Late a late
0: swap. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with "Fooled by Randomness," which is oh, uh, from Nicholas Taleb. Yep, and okay. so he's the guy who wrote the Black Swan. And again, I've gone with a lot of investing books that aren't really specifically about investing. Yeah, yeah. Um, although he does talk about a lot of the concepts he talks about and uses examples of that. It's it's this idea that as humans mm. we are we are we. We are pattern recognition machines, yeah. and as an evolutionary trait, it's been it's been a really valuable kind of thing. The trouble with it is is well, there's a dark side to it is that it, mm. it fires when it it shouldn't, and we really overestimate causality and things. So we see things and patterns that aren't there all of the time, mm, mm. and um, uh, and then we also we we always feel as though the world it's it, things are much more explainable. Um, then perhaps it really is in in, in, mm. in, mm. in nature. We also have yeah. survivorship bias, skewed distribution. We look at people who do certain things and get certain results. We forget that there's there's another thousand examples of the mm. exact same person who did the exact same thing and it turned to be a, a terrible outcome. So it's, mm. it's. I find it really I found it really helpful in shaping my thinking in terms of investing because mm. when it comes to the share market, this thing that we call the share market, this big aphomorous, you know, network of thousands mm-hmm. of thousands of different people, all playing slightly different games. All you know, we're all buying and selling shares, mm-hmm. but there's just so many different things going on in there. And to your earlier point of so much information that we have these days, there's just a lot of it. I just think is nonsense, and yeah. and we're, we we lose sight of the forest for the trees, where we're, we, we've. And this book, not not to sort of where it, it distinguishes from the one that you were mentioning, was that I think it sort of helps you spot things that are more likely explainable by mm, randomness, mm. and to understand where there are, in fact, maybe d- real drivers at play that you can you can take advantage of as as an investor. Mm. But it's it's again it's about sort of knowing. Tell me where I'm going to die, so I don't go there because. You'll see it in chart patterns. You'll see it in economic data. There's these wonderful examples where people intentionally create, create random data and then give it to experts. It's the ultimate academic yeah, troll right. exercise. And it's, right. I love these experiments that they do because you hand someone a a bunch of data who's a so-called expert in that field and stuff and they'll give you an interpretation and they'll build a narrative around it. But I mean, by definition, this thing has been... It's done to prove a point. This has been randomly created and yet we've still built a story around it. So it's... I don't know. It's I find it I find it really fascinating stuff and I find that again just draw a line back to investing here. You you need to sort of be on the lookout for that for that randomness because you will easily be fooled by it and a lot of it is going yeah. to <laughs> to lead you in some dark directions.
1: I like it mate. I like it. Um man, I've got I I had a, I had a fifth book as well and I changed it while we were talking about it and then I I I'm looking at the, the the desk behind me or the bookcase behind me and I just there's so many so I'm gonna I'm gonna give a couple of like I'm gonna name some books that are just great reads like if you just if you're kind of into business and investing a little bit and you just want some really really just fascinating reads um, I'll give you a couple and I'll get back to, um, to my actual recommendation first one I'm gonna to suggest to you is Moneyball by Michael Lewis um, about baseball great actually book. but it's yeah. about the way that data informed an old game and it's, it's a reminder about innovation. It's a reminder about disruption. It's just a fascinating story in general of what can be done, but think about it differently. Um, I like that as, a, as, a, as an idea. Um, I think the, the... So I like that one. Barbarians at the Gate is a great read. I haven't read it in years. It's a I need read. to go back and reread that one. That was a brilliant So one. this is about basically when, when private equity raiders kind of were born. This, this was the archetype for every PE raid since. Mm-hmm. Um, the Barbarians at the Gate Were the private equity raiders Trying to take over the business R j r. R.J. Ander Bisco The old cigarette mob uh, And Kohlberg Kravis Roberts Now known as KKR You'll have heard that that uh, acronym before An amazing, amazing, amazing story So really, really cool like that a lot um, The Short History of Financial Euphoria By John Kenneth Galbraith Is also fascinating Oh yeah uh, Just telling the story of Bubbles that, That's a, like so many great books We should do a longer list mate Probably not as a podcast But amazing um yeah. so that they're all they're all fascinating all the devils are here by bethany Clement and Jonah. Sarah was about the the gfc uh smartest guys in the room the enron story fascinating just so oh many good great books. one yeah yeah anyway what I'm about go what about where,
0: where are all the customers yachts is that on your bookshelf
1: oh that's great isn't it that is isn't also, that a I'm good one bookshop,
0: actually no i got a different
1: bookshelf up in the house it might be there i think um just oh man, so many I've got I've got beaten this street. I'm going to go with one that's that's a, a bit of a left turn, mate. And this is not even about business or investing, although it's about both business and investing. And it's just simply Gittonomics by the Sydney Morning Herald economics journal economics editor Ross Giddens. Um, I first saw Ross Giddens when I did my HSC. He gave he gave a, a pre HSC economics lecture. Uh, I can still vividly recall sitting there with a mate, looking down from the, the high the high seats in one of the university lecture theatres, uh, watching Ross Gittins tell us what we needed to know for the the, um, the HSC. Uh, must have worked on me. Um, so it's kind of you know it's coming coming through now, and, and it's you know it's all it's all kind of uh, it's all um, I say cross pollinities. Yes, it's it's, it's, it's un, 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 bubbling under the, bubbling away under the surface there. Um, just lovely, really good guy, knows his stuff. Great reading the Herald. By the way, for, well not for free. The Herald costs you money, but. If you're not reading Ross Gittin's economics articles, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. Um, Gittinomics just explains the way the economy works, and I think mm. for many people, maybe even most people, that's a really, really undervalued thing. We all kind of think we know it because we live in it, um, and it's kind of like, yeah, well, I know the economy. There's this, this businesses, and employees, and supply and demand, and that's all fine. But Gittin's does a really, really nice job in really, really simple terms of kind of explaining the moving parts of the of the economy. So really, a very well worth um, a book, well worth reading, just just to kind of. Fill in the holes of the underpinning of kind of what does make the economy work. Because um, again, those things matter, right? It doesn't matter to you, to the price of zero tomorrow. Probably not, no. Um, mm. But it, it's just a really fascinating way to get yourself grounded in what actually makes the economy work. It's written for non-economists. You don't have to be an economist or reader or even an economic student. Really accessible, really easy read. And just if you haven't read it, do yourself a favour. I, I, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it and I'm pretty sure you'll learn something from it.
0: I like that I like that recommendation. You met, when you were talking there you reminded me of a book. I need to track this down cuz I borrowed it at a library and I've never right. been able to find it since. It's co- I'm going to not pronounce it right. It's Filthy Lucre. The L U C Oh yeah yeah yeah. French or something for for money Um, it's actually written by a history professor but it's about economics and he just nails it like again you sort of you take all these things like uh, foreign exchange or the current account deficit and just talks about it in a way that just dumbs it down Mm -hmm. he has this wonderful Mm -hmm. analogy where he talks about uh, uh, international currency trade as like mm, gift mm. gift tokens um, or gift certificates. So yeah. the Aussie dollar is just a gift certificate that you can use in Australia, you know, but yeah. it's not accepted mm. over here. So you have to, and and it, it gives you a sense of well, this is what drives. This is why the Aussie dollar is worth this relative to the us and yeah. um anyway, anyway that is like gittonomics there's there's some and, and by the way interestingly giddens isn't a trained is not a trained economist either yes He's exactly a that's right
1: yes yes that's right. And,
0: that's right um it's like martin zweig in the in the us you know there's, yep, there's yep, yep, a yep, yep, lot yep. of these i think actually now that i think about it, a lot of the best investors i know personally don't have those mm-hmm. those backgrounds and they sort of yeah, come at exactly. it from it, from yep. another angle yeah yep, um yep. Yeah, really interesting. I so I will end on on one quick one. Um, and this is this is a really obscure book. I it was part of a job I had years ago. They got this guy called Peter Thornhill to come in and give a presentation oh, he's right sort too. of. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. does he does sort of the presentation circuit, you know, and he's got he's got this really super thin book and called Motivated Money and um, it all it does is it lays out the case for investing in the share market. So I don't know about you, but if ever you've said, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will resonate with this, if ever you've sort of said to friends and family, I'm investing in the share market, you usually get the reaction of, oh my gosh, are you sure? You know, And, and it, it just sounds, I've said it before, it, it always sounds like a highly reckless speculative thing. Anyone who invests in the share market is just is crazy. It's almost like b- investing in Bitcoin or yes, something yes, like yes, that. Yes, 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 uh, it has that stigma to it. This is the book to give to someone, because I'm sure no, no one mm, um, mm. listening needs this, that says yep. actually it's not risky. It's actually very sensible, yep, and, yep, yep. and and it's 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 not going to give you any deep insights in how you pick shares or anything like that. But in terms of hey, here's a vehicle for wealth creation. Mm-hmm. This is you should probably have some money invested yep. in the share market. Yep. That's the probably. case that it makes, and for mm-hmm. that reason, it's a great present to sort of give give the father in law mm-hmm. or something for, for Christmas. Yeah.
1: No, I think I think it's right. I think it's, it's one of those. I think you're right about people who aren't investing And you kind of made the point earlier about you know just having a different having a different perspective, the polymath idea, or just having a broader perspective. I there aren't many spreadsheet jockeys who'd actually want to say, "Hey, take my money." You know, people who just love the spreadsheet like love investing. But but I'd rather someone who loves business and who gets how it all fits together and kind of when you when you understand the broader context of life. And you know, mm. to your point about polymath, you know, models from biology or ideas mm. from you know other other areas or other experiences being able to relate oh, yeah, that, at yeah. an psychology topic to something biology psychology is yeah. massive yeah. yeah totally, totally Chemistry. totally yeah, all in i there. I, I, if i had to put my chips on company analysis versus behavioral psychology i would put 80% of the chips on behavioral psychology mm. if you know if if i if, you, if i could allocate the time accordingly because the chance of being you know wrong if you if you, if you, if you played enough hands of of picking stocks, even if you end up with something repre- roughly representing average, because you end up being so diversified, well, it doesn't matter anymore. It, it's going to be the psychology that makes you or breaks you. I really do think mm. that's a massive, massive yep. component. Hundred percent. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes, mate. We're done. That was a really, really good list. So let me go through them. Thank you for hopefully you've enjoyed it. The first one Andrew mentioned was the most important thing by Howard Marks. I followed up with the Little Book of Behavioral Investing. By James Montier Andrew then threw in Poor Charlie's Almanac
0: Is that written by Charlie Or is it
1: edited by someone
0: else mate Do you know I think it, I don't think he He penned it himself He seems like the kind of guy Who wouldn't be bothered To do, to do it So I think, it was, I think he was <laughs> That's helped That's true
1: Alright so it's, We'll find out who it's by uh, The fourth one We mentioned was The um, Essays of Warren Buffett That is done by Lawrence Cunningham Just come to mind Yeah he, he pulled them together But again they're Buffett's words uh, Competitive Advantage By Michael Porter Yep, it was Andrew's fifth, or his third, but the fifth book we mentioned. The sixth book we called, talked about was One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. That was mine. The seventh was Guerrilla Game. Do you remember who that's by? I've got it behind me, actually. By Moore, uh, Johnson, uh, and Moore, Kipola. Yeah, yep, yeah, that's it. Um, the eighth book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, and it was co-authored with somebody. No, it wasn't. Here's other ones were. Just Jim Collins, Good to Great. Uh, if you're looking for another book, we recommend Fooled by Randomness. By Nicholas Taleb. Is that right? Yep. And the 10th book was Gittonomics by Ross Gittins. And I mentioned a whole lot of others I won't go through again. Just some really, really cool, just fun reads that are very worthwhile doing. It's all all fantastic. There's 10 books from us to you. Hopefully, I'm having a good time on holidays. Andrew, thank you. Hopefully, you're enjoying not speaking to me for a few weeks. I'm sure you'll enjoy that as well. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, most importantly, to our listeners for listening. We are going to need some questions. We are going to need some feedback. If you have any questions about the books, if you have other suggestions for better books or additional books, we'll probably do this again at some point, maybe next time one of us on holidays or maybe just because we want to. So next time, if you've got a better book or a different book you think we should consider, let us know. If you've got a question, let us know. If you've got anything you want for our next mailbag, because when I get back, hopefully there'll be something in the mailbag. If it's empty, it's going to be a very quiet first episode back. I'm trusting you, dear listener, to make sure you send us your questions. You can do all of that. Go to info at fool.com.au. That's our email address. You can hit us up on Twitter. I'll go with Andrews first, at sage underscore simeon, or at strawmaninvest. If you're on Twitter or Insta, you can get me at TMFScottP, same handle for both. And The Motley Fool's handle is the same for both as well, Twitter and Insta, at the Motley Fool au. If you're on Facebook, you can jump onto The Motley Fool Australia, pretty straightforward. I'm Scott Phillips Money. It's all facebook.com slash those things. And of course, as I mentioned before, if you're on YouTube, you want to have a look at our uh, new videos we're putting up semi-regularly, including Stock of the Week and others we'll put up there over time. Uh, jump on that, subscribe to the channel, like the, the videos, hit the notification bell, all those good things that good YouTubers are supposed to say these days. Uh, just Google or go to YouTube and look up the Motley Fool Money YouTube and you'll find our channel there. Mate, we're done. That's it. All done. That was great. Enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully, if you got some good book recommendations and so said, let us know what you think. In the meantime, we'll still be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. full Fool on.